Well, if we could, with the Lord's help and guidance this morning, turn back to that portion of scripture that we read. We've studied most of chapter 8, and now we come to the last words of this chapter. So Mark chapter 8, and verse 34. Mark 8 at verse 34. And when he, that is Jesus, called the people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. These words in the closing verses of Mark chapter 8, they are probably the most solemn words that Jesus has spoken during his life and ministry. We know already that Jesus said many things and that Jesus did many things. We know that Jesus told many parables. We know that Jesus taught many people. We know that Jesus performed many miracles and that he healed many diseases. But for all that Jesus said and did during his earthly ministry, I believe that the words of this passage are some of the most solemn words Jesus ever spoke. And I say that because in these words, Jesus strips us right back. He strips everything back, and he peels away all our exterior, and he he reveals everything that people often try and hide. He, he pulls away everything, everything that people can see, all the outward appearances before others, all the facades of religion, all the pretense of righteousness. And Jesus, he removes all our, our crutches of salvation that we try and cling to so dearly. And he takes away every religious support that we try and lean upon and find comfort in. And he pushes aside every excuse and explanation that we try and find for ourselves as to why we have not yet become a Christian. And Jesus goes right into the depth of our being and he addresses our undying soul. And he asks us, what shall it profit a man or a woman if they shall gain the whole world? And lose their own soul. What will it profit them? But when Jesus speaks these solemn words. We see that he doesn't confine his audience to this select group. 
He doesn't limit his address in any way. He doesn't say that it's just for his disciples only. He doesn't restrict the number of people who are able to listen in to this soul-searching sermon. Jesus doesn't put any barriers in front of us of age or race or background or social status or language. Jesus just says that this sermon is a sermon for whosoever. A sermon for whosoever. He says that his sermon is addressed to everyone. And it's for everyone. My friend, this solemn sermon of Jesus today is for everyone who is in this audience. And it's for everyone who is not. It means that no one is excluded. But everyone is included because it's addressed to whosoever. It's addressed to you, to you personally. It has your name on it. Jesus' sermon is just for you because Jesus is speaking to you. I don't know if you've ever thought that when you come to church, Jesus is speaking directly to you. But in the words of this sermon, Jesus is not only addressing you as a person who is created in the image of God. He's addressing your soul. And he's speaking to your soul. And he wants you to listen to what he is saying to you. He wants you to pay attention to his solemn sermon. Because his sermon is addressed to whosoever whosoever so all I can say is please 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 listen to what Jesus is saying to you give your attention to his sermon because the first thing that Jesus says in his sermon is that there is a call to whosoever there is a call to whosoever That's what he says in verse 34. When he had called the people unto him with his disciples, all the multitudes, he said to them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so what we see is that before Jesus began preaching his solemn sermon, he called all the people, he called all the multitudes and all of, all of his disciples which had been following him throughout the region of Judea. And he called them together to hear what he had to say. And they all congregated together to listen to Jesus. And Jesus called the multitudes and the disciples because as we've seen over the last while, There was so much confusion and so much misunderstanding about the identity of Jesus. Everyone, all the multitudes, they're all discussing the identity of Jesus. Everyone is hazarding a guess as to who Jesus is. Some were saying that he's John the Baptist. Others were saying, well, he's Elijah. Others were saying, well, he must be one of the prophets. But when Jesus asked his disciples... Who do you say that I am? It was at that moment that we saw Peter stepping forward and he he said, You are the Christ. You are the Christ. He made the greatest confession possible. You are the Christ. But even then, Peter didn't understand fully who the Christ is and what it means to follow the Christ. 
Because when Jesus explained that he must suffer many things and be killed and rise again on the third day, Peter couldn't accept that teaching. And he rebuked Jesus for such a teaching. But it was then that Jesus rebuked Peter, as it is in verse 33. Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus referred to Peter as Satan because Peter was ignorantly trying to make Jesus turn aside from the way of the cross. But as we said last week, the way of the Christ must be the way of the cross. And Satan's earnest desire is that we will go any other way apart from the way of the cross and following Jesus Christ. And Jesus knew that. Which is why he calls all the multitudes and all the disciples, all the people together. He calls them together in order to to listen to his solemn sermon. Because Jesus knew that following any other way apart from the way of the cross. It only shows that we are mindful and that we spend our time thinking about the things of men. And not the things of God. And so Jesus addresses The misunderstandings about his identity. And about what it means to be his disciple. And Jesus says that the only way to be my disciple. The only way to be a Christian. Is to go the way of the cross. Whosoever will come after me. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross. And follow me. And so as Jesus begins to preach about what it means to follow him. He addresses the multitudes. But those within that multitude, that multitude goes further than those who were present that day in Israel. The multitude whom Jesus addresses, it goes beyond the shores of Galilee. The multitude goes beyond the boundaries of the nation of Israel. Because the multitude whom Jesus is addressing here, it reaches every tongue. Every tribe, every nation, and every language. And it stretches through the annals of history, through the centuries, right up until our present day. And then on into the future. Because when Jesus issues his call to become a disciple, he says, whosoever. Whosoever. And you know, my friend, the word whosoever, it's probably... One of the most beautiful words in the gospel. And it's a word which Jesus often used. All we have to do is consider uh, the most well-known verse in the Bible. A verse I'm sure that we all know. Because when we come to John 3.16, we can see that we are being addressed there too. Where Jesus is Revealing to the most religious man in Israel at the time. He's revealing to him the wonder and the glory of the gospel. And Jesus says to Nicodemus. God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him. Would not perish but have everlasting life. And there's one thing about this word whosoever. Is that it emphasizes to us that the gospel is a free, universal, 
offer of God's love and salvation through Jesus Christ. And it's offered to whosoever. Whosoever. There is no type of person that is exempt from this message of good news. It doesn't matter who they are. doesn't matter what they've done or whatever their past is. No one is exempt. No one is excluded. No one is disqualified. There are no restrictions. There are no boundaries. No, no constraints upon accepting this offer. Because accepting this offer is not a case of, am I good enough? It's a case of, am I bad enough? Are you bad enough? That's what Jesus wants to know. Because he came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. My friend, the call to come to Christ, it's a universal offer. An offer to the whole world. And it's a free offer to whosoever. That includes everyone and excludes no one. And you know, I don't want to hear any of this perversion of the doctrine of God's election. Where they say, if I'm going to be saved, well, I will be saved on the last day. It's not up to me, it's all of God's doing. None of that, my friend, none of that. None of this hiding behind God's sovereignty. And God's sovereign work of election and predestination. Because God's sovereignty isn't what's heralded before us in the gospel. Jesus never says, sit where you are. He never says, sit where you are and wait and see what happens on the last day. No, no, no. Jesus says, whosoever will, let him come unto me. It's our responsibility. God is sovereign. But he has given us all a responsibility. We are responsible. We are accountable before God. Whether we accept this offer or not. And my friend there is no excuse good enough for not coming to Christ. There is no excuse good enough for not being saved. There is no excuse good enough for not following Jesus. There is no excuse good enough to put the blame on anyone else. Because Jesus is clearly presenting to us today that this offer of the gospel, this call to become a disciple of Jesus, it's to whosoever. To whosoever. The offer is as wide as possible. Whosoever, whether Jew or Gentile, religious or not, good or bad, male or female, rich or poor, young or old, whatever situation they have in their life, it's to whosoever. The offer is as wide as possible. But then it becomes as narrow as possible. Whosoever will come after me and let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And in this Jesus is reminding us in a solemn sermon that the call to whosoever, the call to become a follower of Jesus, it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. And I hope you're still listening to what Jesus is saying to you. 
Please give your attention to this sermon of Jesus because it's a sermon for whosoever. And in his sermon he's saying that there is a call to whosoever. But secondly Jesus says that there is a cost for whosoever. There is a cost for whosoever. A cost for whosoever. That's what he says in the second half of verse 34. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In this sermon, Jesus says that the call to become a disciple, it's to you, to whosoever. The offer is as wide as possible, but then it becomes as narrow as possible. To be a disciple of Jesus comes at a cost, and the cost is your own life. Jesus says, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. <clears throat> but when Jesus says that in order to be his disciple we must deny, him, deny ourselves. We must deny self. Uh, he isn't talking about self-denial. Because denying self and self-denial... They're two completely different things altogether. Self-denial is, also, is often an outward action. It's often a, for a good purpose, you could say, where occasionally we give up things or we give up activities. Well, you could say we give up chocolate. Everybody loves chocolate. Where we deny ourselves chocolate in order to lose weight. And some deny themselves buying things in order to save money. Other people deny themselves alcohol, especially during the month of January when everyone is on a detox after the new year. And to that extent, there is self-denial. But of course, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Because self-denial is not the same as denying self. Denying self places all the emphasis upon me. It places the responsibility upon the individual. Because it's not about denying ourselves chocolate or money or, or alcohol. It's about removing ourselves from being the center of our universe. It's about removing ourselves from the throne of our own heart. Denying self is about giving up ourselves and writing ourselves off. And surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. And determining to be obedient to his will. Because our fallen nature... Our sin that we are born with. We were singing that in Psalm 51. Conceived in guiltiness and sin. We're all born with this love of self. Where we are at the center of our own universe. We are the kings and queens of our own heart. We are the king and queen of our own destiny. But my friend, our sin is such... That it has deluded us into thinking that we are the most important being in the world. And that everything else revolves around us. Our sin has affected us and 
defected every area of our life that it convinces us that we are to worship ourselves where we should boast in self we should be proud of self we should exalt self we should boast our ego puff up our ego to the point that we are convinced that we don't need anyone else to help us we don't need God We don't need Jesus. Why should we need anyone if we can do everything ourselves? Because I am the God of my own life. But you know, Jesus knows our heart. Jesus knows our mind. Jesus knows the way we think. Which is why he says, whosoever desires to save his or her life, they will lose it. It will profit them nothing. But Jesus says, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whosoever wants to follow me, whosoever wants to be my disciple, then you must come and die. You must die to self. You must die to sin. You must abdicate the throne of your own heart. You must submit to the authority of Jesus as it is presented in God's word. And you must put Jesus at the center of your life. Put Jesus upon the throne of your heart and follow him. Follow him. You must follow him. But in order to follow Jesus, Jesus says it means taking up your cross. In order to be a follower of Christ, we must follow the example of Christ and take up our cross. But when Jesus said that if we want to become one of his disciples, then we must deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. When Jesus said that, it was one of the most startling things that he could ever say. To our mind and to our ears, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Because we often see the symbol of a cross, maybe on jewellery, necklaces, or we use it as a figure of speech, where we say that we all have our own cross to bear. And such crosses, they may come in the form of inconvenience or, or illness or a hard, hard experience. And that's not to say that these things are insignificant or easy to bear, but they are vastly different to what Jesus meant in his sermon. Because the symbol of a cross in the first century was the symbol of Roman oppression. It was the most visible act of of Rome's terror towards the Jews. The act of crucifixion, it was designed to punish criminals in the most excruciating manner by prolonging their death. Because when someone was crucified, They didn't die of the pain of being beaten and lacerated all over their body and then having six-inch nails driven through their hands and their feet and then hoisted up onto a cross to die. They didn't die of the pain. They died by suffocating on their own blood. Because the only way to breathe when you're on the cross, if you were crucified, was to push down on the nails through your hands and feet and take a breath. 
And it's this fight for survival. The fight between the desire to live. The desire to stay alive. And the fear of death. The cross was the most awful way to die. And for every Jew living under the oppression of Rome. The cross was always a symbol of cruelty, pain, shame and death. But not only that. When someone was to be crucified they would have to take up their cross and they would have to carry it to their place of execution just like Jesus did. And the act of carrying the cross it signified submission to Rome's authority and to Rome's power. But here is Jesus and he's issuing the same symbol to signify the ultimate submission that is required by his disciples. And with such an extreme symbol, Jesus was saying that to become his disciple, we must, be, we must be prepared to endure trouble and pain and suffering and conflict. It's through much tribulation, says the Bible, that the disciple of Jesus will enter the kingdom of heaven. And you know, I always quote him, maybe too often, But I find what he says so relevant and so applicable to us. Because J.C. Ryle in his commentary, he says, In order to become a disciple of Jesus, we must be prepared to deny self and take up the cross of doctrine and the cross of practice. We must be prepared to take up the cross of professing a faith that the world will despise. We must be prepared to take up the cross of living a life which the world ridicules as too strict and unnecessary. We must be prepared to crucify the flesh, to mortify the deeds of the body, to fight the daily fight with the devil, to come out from the world and lose our lives if need be for Christ's sake and for the Gospels. These are hard sayings, says Ryan. But the words of our Lord are plain and unmistakable. If we will not carry the cross, we shall never wear the crown. If we're not willing to deny self and take up our cross and follow Jesus, then we will never receive the crown. And you know, if anyone knew what it was to carry Across It was the Apostle Paul. Because when Paul wrote to the Galatians. And he explained the change that had taken place in his life. He made this wonderful confession about what it means to be a Christian. He said I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live yet not I. But the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. And so as a Christian Paul had denied self, he had taken up his cross and he followed Jesus. He had died to self. He had died to sin. So much so that he said later on in his letter to the Galatians, God forbid. God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me. And I to the world. 
Paul counted everything that this world offered as a loss. That he would gain Christ as his saviour. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. That whosoever loses his life, whosoever counts what this world offers and the pleasures of this world as loss, they will gain eternal life. They will gain salvation. They will gain Christ. But you know, the problem we have in our congregation is that there are far too many people who are still trying to save their own life by clinging to the world and by their own good works. And maybe what holds you back from denying self and taking up your cross is all this talk about loss. But what Jesus is saying is that the loss is not a loss of possessions. It's not a loss of money or wealth or family or friends. It's the loss of your soul. Your undying soul. Because if you cling to everything, if you cling to your money, to your wealth, to your family, to your friends, and if you put them before your eternal well-being, then you will lose your soul. And Jesus, he's put it so clearly to us in verse 36. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What Profit will it be in eternity to have had everything that money could buy, to have had all the wealth in the world, to have had the loveliest and the warmest and the friendliest family, and to have had the best friends that you could have ever have had. And there's nothing wrong with having any of these things. It's not wrong to have money or wealth or family or friends. These are the great blessings of life. But my friend, What will it profit you? What will it profit you if you have spent your life neglecting your soul? And you know, what I find so hard and so heartbreaking is that far too many people spend their life clinging to the things of this world that they can't take with them. They put their trust in things that are of no eternal benefit for their soul. Jesus spoke about a man like that when he told the parable of the rich fool. The rich fool he had spent his life building bigger and better barns. And he had been preparing for the future. Spent his life tending to his wealth and his gain. Preparing for retirement. But what he never saw coming was that he would be asked what he did with his soul. And when God came, death came calling. And he was a man who had neglected his soul. And yet God said to him, thou fool, tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. My friend, what attention are you giving to your soul? What concern do you have for your never dying soul? Because what will it profit you? What gain will you have if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? What, what is it that you will not let go of? 
What could you possibly be clinging to in, in exchange for your soul? Because whatever it is, whatever you're clinging to, you all know it won't last. You all know that I don't need to tell you that you can't take it with you. Whatever it is, your, your money, your wealth, your family, your friends, you can't take it with you. As the old saying goes, shrouds have no pockets. They have no pockets. I don't know how many times death is going to speak to us as a community before we wake up to the reality that we need to give attention to our undying soul. Please give attention to it. It's your undying soul. And it needs this eternal word to affect it. My friend, you need to start showing a concern for your soul. Because this solemn sermon of Jesus, in this sermon Jesus not only wants to make us aware that there is a call to whosoever to become a disciple, and that it comes at a cost to whosoever is willing to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Jesus. But for Jesus there is also a concern. A concern for whosoever. And I hope you're still listening. I hope you're still listening to this sermon of Jesus. Please give your attention to it. Because this is a sermon for whosoever. There's a call to whosoever. A cost for whosoever. But Jesus thirdly has a concern for whosoever. A concern for whosoever. He says in verse 38... Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. When we consider all that Jesus said during his life and ministry, we consider all the parables, all the teaching, all the things that he said, there are Perhaps no words that are more condemning than these. Because in this statement, Jesus highlights the very thing that holds people back from becoming a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus says the reason many people hold back is shame. People are ashamed of Jesus Christ. They're ashamed to be seen to believe in the things of God. They're ashamed to be known as one who loves Jesus Christ. They're ashamed before others for desiring to live according to the commandments of God. They're ashamed to be associated with Jesus Christ and other Christians. And their shame is such that they're afraid to come to church on both ends of the Lord's day, just in case people start talking about them, just in case people start thinking that they're religious, just in case people think, oh, that person's getting the Kurum. And Jesus says, that's why many people hold back from becoming one of my disciples. They're ashamed of me and of my words. But what's startling is that the shame arises 
only because of the adulterous and sinful generation. The shame arises for fear of what the adulterous and sinful generation will say about them if they start following Jesus. And you know that adulterous and sinful generation, we are still in it. It's still present. Because how many people in our congregation and in our community are ashamed of Jesus because of fear of what others will say of them? How many people are afraid of being embarrassed or humiliated in front of friends if they begin to follow Jesus? Are you embarrassed? Are you afraid? Are you ashamed? Do you know what the Bible says? The fear of man is a snare. The fear of man is a snare because when we try to live our life for the opinion of others and to please others, to satisfy others, to worry about what other people think and what other people will say and all the people will be talking about me, maybe in the shop or at work, these things ensnare us. They ensnare us. My friend, I know what it's like. Because I was there myself. I was there when I was secretly seeking the Lord. I didn't want anyone to know what was going on in my heart. Not even my closest family, not even my friends. I was, a too, I was too afraid to, to say anything to them for fear of ridicule, fear of rejection. But do you know what took that fear away? I listened to Jesus and not the opinions of others. Jesus said, come. And whatever anyone had to say about me, whatever comments people had to make, whatever opinions they were going to give, wherever they were at work or around me, they would get over it. They would get over it. And if anyone said anything negative, it was only because deep down they wanted it for themselves. But what Jesus says here is that this feeling of shame and the fear of others, it is so insignificant. It is so small in comparison to the great eternity. Because being afraid of the thoughts and opinions of others in this adulterous and sinful generation... It's completely insignificant in comparison to the fear and terror that will be expressed when the Son of Man comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Being afraid of the thoughts and opinions of others is completely insignificant when it comes to the day of judgment. That's what Jesus is talking about here. But in Matthew's Gospel, we're given a, a fuller picture of what Jesus is saying here. Because in Matthew 25, we're told that Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will then sit upon his throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations. And he'll separate the people one from another, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep 
on his right hand, the goats on his left hand. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom that has been prepared from before the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And Jesus says, These will go away. One into eternal punishment and the other into eternal life. My friend, the day of judgment will be a day of shame. It will be a day of shame. Because on that judgment day, all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. All will stand. All will give an account And there will be many who stand there ashamed. There will be many who stand ashamed. Not because of Jesus or his words. They will be ashamed because they never listened in church. They'll be ashamed that they had never acted when they had the opportunity. They will be ashamed that they listened to the opinions and the thoughts and the speaking of others. They'll be ashamed that they never responded to the offer to whosoever. They will be ashamed that they didn't take up their cross and follow Jesus. And that shame they feel will make hell all the more worse for them. But my friend, Jesus is reminding us in his solemn sermon that he has a concern for whosoever. And he tells us about the day of judgment and his coming glory, coming in his Father's glory with his holy angels. He tells us not to scare us, although it should. Not to manipulate us into making a decision. My friend, he tells us Only because he loves us. Only because he loves us. And he doesn't want us to go to hell. I don't want you to go to hell. I tell you because I love you. And I want you to be saved. I don't want you to perish without Christ as your saviour. I don't want you to neglect your undying soul because your soul is precious to me but your soul ought to be precious to you. It's your undying soul and I want you to know that this sermon is for you. This sermon is addressed to you. It's a sermon for whosoever. It's a sermon with your name on it. And it's delivered to you in love. Presented to you with tears. And lifted before you in prayer. I can't say any more to you. I can't add to what Jesus has said. Except to say please. 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 
give your attention to what Jesus is saying. That whosoever will deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, then they will have eternal life. Listen to what Jesus is saying and respond to it by following him. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we ask that thou wouldst speak to us, impress upon us thy truth, remind us, Lord, that we are only passing through, that we have an undying soul, a soul that needs attention, a soul that needs Jesus to fill it. And, O Lord, we plead that those who are without Christ, that they would make Christ their own, that they would make him their saviour, that they would trust in him for time and for eternity. O do us good, then we pray. Keep us on mercy's ground until we find thee. For, Lord, thou art the only one, O the only one who can save us. Do us good, then we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen. shall conclude by singing in Psalm 25. Psalm 25, the Scottish Psalter, page 231. Singing from verse 4 down to the verse mark 9. Psalm 25 from verse 4. Show me thy ways, O Lord, thy paths, O teach thou me. And do thou lead me in thy truth, therein my teacher be. For thou art God that dost, to me salvation send. And I upon thee all the day expecting do attend. Thy tender mercies, Lord, I pray thee to remember. And loving kindnesses for thee have been of old forever. Down to the verse mark 9 of Psalm 25. We'll stand to sing to God's praise. Show me thy ways, O Lord, thy paths, O teach me, and do thou lead me in thy truth, then my teacher be.
of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.